Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? No Script, No Problem is the show that takes you behind the curtain of unscripted television like never before. With insight from some of the best in the business of reality TV, documentary series, competition shows, social experiment, true crime, and much more. From The Prophet to Botch to The Bachelor to Queer Eye, if it's unscripted, we'll get into it. I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been doing reality television for about 15 years with shows like Extreme Makeover Home Edition, BattleBots, Outdaughtered, the Rachel Zoe Project, and Pros vs. Joes, among my many credits. Each week, I talk to the talented people who've made unscripted TV, documentaries, true crime, and game shows, not just something you watch or you consume, but a cultural phenomenon. Now, if you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe and rate the show. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Today, I get to chat with an Emmy-winning showrunner and executive producer. She's done shows such as Extreme Makeover Home Edition, just like I did, Little People Big World for TLC, Don't Be Tardy, and Sweet Home Oklahoma, both for Bravo, and now... She serves as showrunner and executive producer for the two-time Emmy-winning smash hit Queer Eye for Netflix. Please welcome Jen Lane. Jen, how you doing? Woo! <laughs> I'm doing good. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, well, look, we've been trying to do this for a while, so I'm glad that we're finally making this happen. And I love nothing more than talking about reality TV um, with somebody like you. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we, we've been down, not, not filming for a while, so I love being able to talk to some of the best people who are doing this. How are you handling the COVID break? How are you handling not being able to be yeah. out there making, making the magic happen? I think for all of us alpha dogs, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. you want to matter, you want to create. Um, you got to find other ways to do that, obviously. And I think it's been good for me. You know, I've always known I needed to drink a little bit more of the Kool-Aid when it came to self-care. Yeah. So, and, you know, as producers, we work 17 hours a day if we're lucky. So it's been fun to just kind of put the brakes on that and realize that, you know, exercise is good. <laughs> so I'm, I hate it so much, but I, you know, m- my thoughts go more towards, you know, wishing I could do more like all of the people that are first responders and people in hospitals and stuff. So yeah, I'm doing okay. Of course. Of course. Now, in some ways for Queer Eye, you know, everyone being at home, it kind of worked out well for you. Season five premiering with everybody at home, being able to get the eyeballs on it. Um, it, How how is season five doing in terms of, uh, is everybody eating it up as usual? By all accounts, yes. But obviously, you know, we didn't do our normal... Uh, social media blitz. We didn't promote it per se. Um, time to listen to other voices at the moment. And um, yeah, so it's, it's holding its own. I hope people are enjoying it. In terms of the plan now for season six, 
because of the situation we're all in, the uncertainty, what do you what is the current plan? What can you share with people? You've got a huge fan base. What can you share with people? As you can imagine, you know about as much as I do as to what our future is going to look like. Sure. And obviously, we want to be cautious when it comes to safety for our crew and our cast. So, and I don't know if you heard this, but we had we had um, moved to Texas to do season six in Austin. Oh, and love Austin. We got shut down after shooting our first episode. Oh, wow. I don't say we got shut down. Let me say we shut ourselves down right. for obvious reasons. Right. Um, yeah. And I and, uh, the, the spiking in Texas is alarming. Sure. And the government has issued stay-at-home orders to extend until August 15th. So let's just say we're on pause. We're on a big pause until we know more, like everybody. I think I told you previously, so I went out, um, you know, last week and I did a a day of of pickup shoots for a friend. And it really is, you know, it's it's tough to really focus on creative the way we normally do. You know, people like you and you and uh, me, our brains are all about the creative and making things happen. And I found... I was, you know, half my brain was all about, am I six feet oh. away from people? You know, at, you know. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Like That's I was concern, really focused right? on being safe and the, and the crew being safe, you know, uh, and the talent being safe. My, my talent didn't want, it wasn't, you know, she was a smoker. She really wasn't into wearing a mask. And you walk that fine line, Jen, of like, okay, do I, you know, do I have to make her wear a mask? It was really you know, part of me was looking at it almost like, you know, from a psychological learning experience as to what's to come. And, you know, when it becomes a show that's, you know, six weeks, you know, three months, that sort of thing, as opposed to just one day. But it definitely made me think about, you know, the things mm. things are going to be tough. Right. And they're not going to look like we, we want them to, no matter how many times you stomp your feet. Yeah. You know, I mean, I hate the, the new normal gets overused, but honestly... Are we ever going to be the same? We don't know. Yeah, and I think for us, there's no rush. We're not, we're not we're not desperado rushing to production. We want to be a part of the solution. Yeah, that's what our premise is. And I, um, I think for that reason, we're just going to, you know, keep doing our breathing exercises and see what happens. Um, all right, let's uh, let's take a step backwards and let's talk about Jen Lane and how she got to where she's at right now, running. Oh, yes. I just, I'm so glad not to talk about COVID anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, oh, let's, Lord. Yeah, let's, let's take a step backwards. All right. So I always ask my guests, how did you get into the wonderful, wild world of reality television? And everybody has a different answer. So talk to me. How did you get here? I am from Austin. I went to the University of Texas at Austin. Go long I got out of school. Yes. I uh, got a job at the public television station here, KLRU. And eventually my job became, uh, I, I eventually became a producer and my job was promo producer. I was, I was um, producing promos for shows that didn't have them. You know, this is so keen when you think about like breaking down reality TV, I was able to have to, I'd have to look at a 30 minute faulty towers episode and create a 30 second spot. And it really, it was really fun dissecting the, What's the climax? What's the instigating yeah. moment? What's, you know, without giving away the conclusion, it became a, a really fun experience. And um, I, I had a great mentor at KLRU, Terry Lacona, who produces Austin City Limits. 
And, you know, he believed in me when I picked up a camera and that meant something to me. And I uh, applied to the American Film Institute and came out to L.A. and went to AFI, studied cinematography. And that was sort of right when reality TV was coming to fore. And that was right when I needed to pay back a bunch of student loans. (laughs) So that would have been around 1994, 95 and Survivor was just um, looking for camera people willing to camp on the beach for 30 days. And I was like, nah. Then it was like trauma life in the ER. You got a ambulance chase. I was like, nah. <laughs> and then my, my first uh, show as a shooter, and I started as a cinematographer, was um, Bug Juice. Disney nice. Channel, Bug Juice. Yeah. Got to work under the tutelage of Doug Ross and Rupert Thompson. And pardon my French if I drop a few names on this call because aren't we all the fabric of who made us? And we are. Um, I've worked with some of the greatest people in reality TV. And we, we have one of those people in common, Brady Cannell from we, Extreme. Absolutely. Ability. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So I did Bug Juice and the rest is history. It was one thing after Temptation Island, the Osbournes, you know, I did Joe Millionaire. I, I, I did uh, a lot of shooting at, at first. And then, as you know, a lot of direct, a lot of uh, DPs DP, in reality yeah. become directors of reality because we kind of know where the cameras are without having to look at a monitor. Exactly. We kind of know how to talk to people about camera movement in a way. And, um, yeah. And so directing, then, you know, it just, you march up the ladder from there. I became a co-EP and now an EP. Woohoo! Well, let, let's talk about that transition from camera op to director to EP because it's not, that's not necessarily the natural transition. No, it it's isn't, not. Is it? Right. So oh. when you were, when you were oping, when you were a camera op, did you always in the back of your mind go, you know what? I want to produce like this is, there's a, you know, this, this is a path that I have or, or did that just naturally happen um, tell me a little bit about the, you know, what, what was in your head in terms of goals when you were opting. It's so true. It's an unusual path. I think for me, I've always been a jack of all trades to me, like creating film or television was all encompassing. It was thinking of the idea, getting the team together, you know, uh, telling people where to put the camera. So there's directing. And I, sort of, and I love editing. Like I really, I I think I'm a showrunner now. Finally, it's like the river finds its way to the sea because I love all those things. I love the big picture of it all. And I never want to be excluded from any particular part of that process. And unfortunately, as everyone in entertainment knows, you get pigeonholed damn fast and you don't get to do all the things unless you're like Steven Spielberg. And even then (laughs) you don't do all things. You just don't. And the collaboration is the joy. So I think my trajectory is strange, but I finally found my home as a showrunner because I can look at it from a cinematography point of view. I can develop a style for a show and speak to the director and and DP in a way that maybe someone who comes into showrunning from story doesn't have. And um, so it's a nice uh, mix. What happened to me was I was, I had pitched, you know, I had, Worked on Laguna Beach, Ooh, and yeah. I love me some Auerbach, Scary and Julie Auerbach of Go Go Lucky, and they wanted me to come and direct the next season, and I said, no, I'm sorry, I'm, 
I want to pitch shows, you know, I really want to pitch shows. So I had pitched a show called P-Town for the Logo Network and they had optioned it. Okay. And um, yeah, and Gary said, if you come and do this for me, I will take your project to Logo. And and then that happened. And then the following uh, spring, my friend Morgan Freeman, who I'd met on Laguna Beach, and now you know he's from Teen Mom fame now, um, also a great mentor to me. He um, wanted me to come and direct Maui Fever, which was going to be this cute show on, on uh, in Hawaii. Yep. And at the last minute, the network MTV said, no, Morgan, we want you to direct. You know who this <laughs> lady is. So Morgan hooked me as the DP slash supervising producer. And there was a time. And then I said, OK, I'll do it, Morgan, but I want to be in post. Wow. So I kind of created that moment for me it was right around then. And um, it, we had been in post for quite a while. We were starting to deliver shows. We were delivering our first episode. And I could see all the executives' knees in the, in the edit suite. And as I walked by the cracked door, it got kicked shut. And I mean, <laughs> I thought I was going to have a heart attack. Like, wow, they really don't like me. And finally, Morgan opens the door and he yells down the hallway and he says, hey, Jen, come in here. <laughs> I walked in. He goes, go ahead and show her. And he hit play. And it was the, I had edited the finale episode, the finale scene of that series. Um, and so I thought he was just kind of going to show me back this. And it ends with this aerial over these, <laughs> over these clouds. And, and there goes my name. And it was Jennifer Lane Co-EP. Wow. I know. Wow. You always need to rely on someone to just reach out and pull you up. And he did that for me. I I think that we all have those moments where there, you need a little bit of validation. You need somebody to tell you, Hey, you can do this. Like in order to take that next step, do you feel like that was that crucial step to help you get to the next level? Absolutely to um, fight for me, to say you matter to this production, it's hard to share the glory, you know? Yeah. It's hard to share the glory. And, and we all get like this feeding frenzy on like who, who, who deserves better, more accolades. And it's like, I think uh, that taught me so much and it put me on my course to be a showrunner. That's for sure. All right. Well, before we get into queer, I want to talk about Extreme Makeover Home Edition because we both share that experience in common. <laughs> Was that show transformational for you in terms of, you know, uh, emotionally? I always feel like, you know, I, I always tell people I went in and I was skeptical that, you know, that it, this show was like that big of a deal and it was just going to be another show. But it definitely changed me, changed the way I looked at the world, changed the way I look at people. Did you find that Extreme, you know, changed you in any way? Absolutely. And, and I really do think that is Brady Connell. Like his his um, very thoughtful leadership has influenced me so much as a showrunner. I can't even tell you. Um, I was directing on Extreme Makeover, and on Extreme Makeover, as you know, we have a little black box where the monitors are. Yep. So the director basically, as I said, becomes the fatted calf. You know, we're not interacting with those people on a daily. The people that are volunteering, the people, the 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 homeowners, the talent on right. the set. So in a lot of ways, as the director of Extreme, you're quite isolated. Um, so my change, yeah, came from 
learning from Brady. But I do remember the very first episode I, I arrived on set and it was a buzz. You know, there's 2,000 people sometimes working or, or and that's an exaggeration when people are waiting, there's that many. Yeah. But uh, I saw this huge Coca-Cola 18-wheeler turning the corner uh, to the uh, catering tent, yeah. which was full of brownies and cookies <laughs> and I could even get choked up to this day. I am not kidding. It's powerful. Yeah. When you ask people to give how much they give, yes. it really is powerful. And it's those damn brownies and cellophane and the tinfoil and the Coca-Cola truck. And I thought, damn, all you got to do is ask. And I think extreme makeover also taught me that you can do things on a large scale and still have intimacy. Do you feel that being on extreme helps you to produce Queer Eye now? 100. You know, I was joking with Brady, like, I hope you don't think we steal from Extreme Makeover. And then he's like, um, Queer Eye was before Extreme Makeover. Who copied who? And I just go, oh, my God, like, uh, mind work. Um, you know, a lot of those renovation shows, shall we call them? We call our show a make better show. Yeah. But I think they follow this certain pattern. You have to know the characters. You're going to do a backstory package. You're going to have to arrive, whether it's surprise or not. You know, you're going to end the first act with the big problem you have to solve. And so there's a lot of similarities in all of these shows, just like sitcoms, if you want to get to the skeleton of them. Sure, sure. Um, all right, so let's dig into Queer Eye. Um, as, you know, as we know, it is a reboot um, of an original Bravo series that was on uh, starting in 2003. Tell me a little bit about how you came about to being the showrunner on this uh, reboot of Queer Eye, which has become a massive success for Netflix. I became known to ITV America through Jordana Hoffman. She's an executive there and also a mentor to me. She had brought me on for another show about a year prior to Queer Eye, and it got canceled. For It got canceled. And so I went back home to L.A. I did the Sweet Home Oklahoma show for Bravo. Right. And um, by... And I think they had been interviewing for showrunners on the new Queer Eye, and Jordy was like, "Bada bing! <laughs> How about Jen Lane?" <laughs> so she had me interview with Scout Scout Productions in Los Angeles, and I, that was um, fun. It was really fun to sort of meet them and to interview for the job. They had asked us to do pretty detailed, those of us that were in the running, to do detailed analysis and proposals for the show, how we see it moving forward, how we see it different than before. They wanted to understand our thoughtfulness, I think. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I got the job because of Jordy. What do you feel like is the biggest difference from the original on Bravo to now the new version on Netflix? I think the big, biggest difference, without a doubt, is how personal we are to the Fab Five. Um, David Collins, the creator of the show, used to say that, you know, back in 2003, we were allowed to be gay on TV, but we weren't allowed to say whether they had boyfriends. We weren't allowed to be personal. And so I was like, oh, you know, and now today's audiences have grown up on reality TV, whereas before it was more of like a, a whoa, what is this? That's not the case anymore. Yeah. So we knew we wanted to have a more intimate 
show, we, we knew we wanted to interview the Fab Five. You can't believe it, but in the original, they didn't interview the Fab Five. And we thought, huh, what about the Fab Five's experiences? What if we took the Fab Five out of New York and put them as fish out of water? Yeah. Would that add an element? Would that add a layer? And today's audiences also just really want authenticity. And so um, that feeds into that as well, which is a personal direct approach, direct to lens interviews. Um, yeah. You know what else is different? The, the, the preview, even though we love humor on Queer Eye, gosh knows it's a, it's an important element of our show, but the first iteration was nonstop comedy. I, I, I watched quite an, a number of episodes and they cranked them out and they were funny. Yeah. Every two seconds you had a joke, just like a sitcom. <laughs> it was fast editing, um, and I noticed too, they didn't even like do transitions. They were, they were wham, bam into scenes, bam, bam, bam. And I think that pace, uh, is quite different in our new series. It's, um, much more, uh, paced down. I'm struck by how much you accomplish in an hour because you have five different kinds of experts, right? And you're mm-hmm. like, you have Anthony, you know, food, right? Tan, fashion, Karamo's culture, lifestyle, Bobby, design, Jonathan, you know, grooming and that sort of thing. All right. That's a lot to take care of this individual person. How are they each able to connect to your hero character? Because, I mean, they each have to. We work with the Fab Five for with each hero for four days. So it's plenty of time for everybody. You know, initially we do the, um, we bust into the hero's house and analyze their living situation. And then that whole afternoon is spent in the one-on-ones with each guy. So they become very intimate by the end of day one, very intimate. And uh, it's kind of, uh, I remember we did that on Extreme Makeover too, where there was the initial surprise and a walkthrough of the house. And then it was uh, the one-on-ones with each designer. So for us, like uh, maybe we have it easier because it is a format. It's a format that we borrowed from the original series. So there was never a question that we were going to uh, have these certain tent poles remain, which would be that we would surprise the hero. We would analyze their situation. We'd have five field trips, one with each guy, sometimes cross pollinate. And then we would reveal their new home and then we would watch their special event in their lives at the end. In terms of chemistry, it's hard enough to get good chemistry between two hosts. How are, how have you been able to find five people to get such great chemistry? That's the magic of casting. Uh, it was a fun, they, they kind of did a blitz all across the world really to find the right people. And it's so funny how when it's right, it all flows. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're not like having to try too hard. Yeah. I think by the, First, they, they had a really fun welcoming cocktail party for all of the candidates. And um, from day one, these five were clinging to each other. And maybe it's just, maybe it's chemistry leads the casting. Yeah. Right? How much of it um, with the Fab Five is just improv versus you uh, versus you guiding? I'd like to say it's all improv. Yes, they have to get in the car. Yes, they have the dossier on the tablet with the key key character points we want to address. And that is the clue into the story for them. And then in their one-on-one times, they get very invested in wanting to help the hero and actually 
even up to midnight the night before have changed their field trips completely if they feel like they can help a hero in a different way. So being completely invested is, is one of their charms, obviously. But um, they probably all got the job in the first place because they were sparks. I wanted to ask you about, I watched the, the, the church episode, the, um, the episode from season five with the, the pastor. Um, how, how impactful was that for the guys? It's definitely when we're at our best it is, and we have always said this too, is when each of the Fab Five are invested fully into the hero. And sometimes it's easier to spot than other times, but I think the creme to the, the the cream of the crop rises pretty pretty fast when you take a look back at all the episodes and think, oh, oh, remember Tammy Hicks and the church and turning the tables on the guys to tell them why they were special. Oh, the Wizard of Oz of it all. Um, I, you know, it makes your heart so big. It stands out, and it stands out because she touched each of each one of them. You know, we we, we go in to fix people's lives and. And when the hero has enough personality and pure goodness to spark feelings in the host themselves, it's special. And that is evident, like you had pointed out in some episodes. Do you have a favorite episode? I mean, obviously, they're all your favorite. But is there a moment? <laughs> it's, like, it's not like saying, which is the Fab Five is your favorite. No. It's saying which is... The episodes is your favorite. It's easy. You know, you don't want to, you know, you want to love all your children equally. But of course. As far as the episodes go, I I think my heart is with Kathy Dooley and Tammy Hicks and Kenny Yarnovich. These were episodes. Kathy Dooley episode was one we shot at, in Jonathan's hometown of Quincy, Illinois. She was his high school music teacher and was a big influence in his life. Um, so I, I always love that little extreme makeover angle when there's a person who's been in service to others. I think because we were in Jonathan's hometown, right away you have a layer of a personal story. It's the way we felt for Bobby in Tammy Hicks's episode when he's confessing his, his, his real fear of the church. It's like when it gets personal, then it then it gets good. Yeah. You know, we have that good old fashioned Bravo edit schedule, frankly. It is eight weeks, you know, to 10 weeks on a show. And um, it allows us to really get into the material and um, move it around and decide where, where the best stuff is. And, and, and that takes time. And that's not, time is not always on the reality producer's side. No, it is so not. let me take this opportunity to mention Mark Bracero, our, our EP in post, and Rachel Mendez, our EP in the field, who are my partners and boy, uh, really incredible craftsmen at what they do. Another episode I liked, um, the grooming, the grooming episode, the dog grooming episode. <laughs> the um, dog grooming. Yeah, yes. that's a great one, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, to contrast the two, this one started out so funny, right? You have a dog groomer who's in a trailer and... Yeah. But I was really struck by how you guys got into like the relationship between the dog groomer and her boyfriend, I believe. Right. Um, yeah, uh -huh. like that to me shows the flexibility of queer eye. Can you kind of talk about, is that something you guys t like discuss in develop in creative 
Or does that kind of just happen naturally? No, absolutely. We discuss it during the creative process. So we spend, honestly, we, we really get going on an episode about three weeks out. Of course, the casting team has been in contact with the people that are casted. And of course, we make initial contact when we arrive in a town and we meet them. But the real pre-producing gets kicked in about three weeks in advance. Um, you, know, you know, it's funny. It's a catch-22. It's all about balance because you don't want to start too soon and then find people are, um, you know, bored with the process. It's kind of that sometimes it's this rocket ship that comes into your life that really impacts you in a big way. So, yeah, our producers will find out everything about the people who we're highlighting, and they will. And obviously, when, when it comes to episodes, I mean, who are we as people, but the people who are our families, who are, we're in relationships with, are we not in relationships? So her relationship and being since high school, that was an enormous part of her life. Yeah. She just moved into this apartment with him. I think it was like four days. They had just put their boxes down. Yeah. And, um, and here we came knocking on the door and I love strategizing when we shoot episodes. So they matter more to someone's life. It's like, Oh yeah, that guy's daughter's wedding. Like our, our Kevin never moved from the September first week of September ever, because if we can have the wedding that Saturday, we're going to do it. The same thing with like the doctor had her first day of work that Monday. So we're strategizing when we're shooting the heroes so that it matters more to them. And um, in Rihanna's case, you know, her boyfriend was a big part of her um, life. So I, so Karamo, of course, wanted to make that uh, something he concentrated on. Yeah. But the fact is, too, as producers, we're very cautious to say, hey, you know, we can't do everything. Sure. In this episode, very few of our episodes are about the person's business. You know, we don't want to confuse it too much, but... Um, we do very few. We had a, the Barbecue Sisters in season three. And so we, we're very judicious about the, what, the ones that are about the person's business. And so we didn't want to dwell on her relationship, but we needed to give it its due. Queer Eye has been fortunate enough to have success in terms of the eyeballs on Netflix. And you've also had award success, back-to-back Emmys, which, I mean... Most people would be happy just to have one or the other. You guys have had both. Yeah. What do you think? That's pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, what do you think has been the key why people have fallen in love with Queer Eye? I think that's a personal connection. It's like, how fun. I mean, what's great about reality TV is that we get to live vicariously through others. And we learn from them. We laugh with them. We see ourselves in them. So it's riveting TV. Uh and I think, you know, I was, I was just musing on this the other day about how social media was sort of invented and, and it, it's sort of a way that we are connected, but at the same time, it's quite isolating because it's not interpersonal in person. And so on Queer Eye, we get to see that in-person connection. I think we, I know this sounds really trite now, but like the idea that we're more alike than we are different. I don't know. It's just like, the media is like scary out there. Like, are we in a, about to have civil war? Yeah. And like, what's the truth? It's like this, it's like, it's like it, the, the move, the way we felt about extreme makeover and how when you ask the community to help, they'll, they'll show up for their neighbor no matter what. So where's that spirit now? And maybe it's still there, but we need to show it. And, um, 
Yeah, so I think on Queer Eye we show that. And it feels good. It doesn't feel good to think that my neighbor hates me and will fly a Confederate flag for God's sakes. It feels good to think I can knock on the door and say I need a cup of sugar. <laughs> and they'll give me two, you know? Indeed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think Queer Eye's success is because of connection. Human connection. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? A home security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your whole home 24/7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Head to simplysafe.com/team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com/team. It feels good to fear less. On Queer Eye, have you been able to see the Fab Five go into, you know, red state America and and be successful? Absolutely. I think, you know, by the time someone has signed up to do the show, they're pretty knee deep in paperwork. So they're committed. And that's a good thing. Yeah. We had in season one, we had back to back. Our first episode was Tom Jackson as he, as he calls himself a, a good old boy from Kentucky. I won't say it what he really said, but um, <laughs> he's just a delightful person who never, ever had gay people in his house before in his life. And I mean, what a great way to start. Yeah. You know, um, the second episode was a ex Marine police officer, Corey, who ended up having a 60 minute car ride with Karamo talking about racism and, police brutality and it was jaw dropping. I remember thinking, Oh my God, we've got a show. Yeah. We've got a real show, a place where, you know, people aren't put on the defensive for their opinions, a place, you know, the, the car stuff's amazingly intimate because there's no cameras around. There's no people running around with boom poles. You've got no one else to interact with, but the person sitting next to you. And it's a great place for intimacy. And, uh, and yeah, so I think, I think for Queer Eye, what we try to do is we, we don't go in saying we're going to change anybody. You know, and I think there's a tonal difference. We're not out to turn people who are Republican Democrat. You know, we're out there to listen to whatever issues might be going on in their lives and help them live better lives in the best version of themselves, not the best version of who we think they should be. So I know it, it sounds like mumbo jumbo, but it, it, it's our credo. Yeah. And I think we lead with listening. And um, that's a place that invites people in. That's the way to people's heart. Is there a favorite makeover or is there a favorite character over the five seasons that, you, that you've dealt with, that you've seen that kind of transformation literally just over the course of the week of filming? Oh my gosh, there's so many. It's unbelievable. I don't even understand how it keeps happening. But I think Jess, um, she was a young lady who was adopted. This was, I think, season three. Sounds crazy. It is season three. Um, Like, just opened her eyes to the joy of what her life could be within the five days we're with her. And it happens over and over and over again. I think even Corey, the police officer, ended up quitting the police force that year. 
Not to say we influenced that decision, but I think we might have. You mentioned police brutality and then having, uh, you know, a gay person coming into his house in the first episode for the very first time. Are there any other discussions that have shocked you on the show that you're like, wow, like we're really doing something that is unprecedented or really we're really doing something that's important? You know, it's so funny. I got goosebumps just hearing you say that because yes, yes. And um, the episode, the strongest episode that comes to mind is Tammy Hicks, who literally hails from gay Georgia. Who would have thought when we were going to come back for Queer Eye, we were shooting in Georgia, that there would be a town named Gay Georgia. And that's an example of our executive producer, Rachel Mendez, going at it and after it and not stopping until she gets the hero she wants. Yeah. And uh, found Tammy Hicks, a woman who was, um, you know, an usher at her church and didn't even didn't even know this, Steve. Turns out she had a gay son. Wow. And what a way to finish. That was our that was the final episode of our shooting in Georgia. And it was an incredibly emotional, impactful uh, time. And it was really her speech at the end where she she grabbed the mic unbeknownst to anybody this wasn't producer planned this is this is the kind of magic that happens when producers just stand down for a second let that kinetic energy fly and don't insinuate don't poke your hole in every damn thing let it live and i love that about it she took the mic and she made a rousing speech in front of the congregation that um to talk about the contradiction of loving jesus but also wanting to love my son and uh whoa and i mean like to, the sheer fact that I can still get emotional about that, it, it was incredible. I don't know. Like, how do you top that? It's tough too. And those are the moments where you're thankful for the job that we have, you know? Yeah. So it is nice to be rewarded for the hard work. What was it like to, uh, what was it like to get the Emmy? Well, huge. You're kind of like, okay, what should I do now? Dog grooming? <laughs> I don't know. It's such a, it's such a penultimate goal for anyone in television. Um, it's exciting. It's validation. It's pride. It's joy. Uh, and and to share it with your teammates. Oh, the holding like squeezing the Fab Five's hands up on stage and and all the producers up there. Um, we we you know like for any show and we know reality TV isn't easy. No, you know, we're we're dancing in high heels backwards. Uh, and so when you, when, when it hits, it's, um, it's very special. And so the Emmy not only becomes a, a great benchmark for your career, it is also a great and incredible reward to share with your teammates, uh, that joy of knowing that we did this together. This is not something that anyone does by themselves and we all contributed to it. And then I'll, I'll kind of wrap up. I, I, I love to talk about the streaming wars. I mean, you guys obviously being, you know, being on Netflix, you're at the top of the chain, the food chain of the streaming wars, but the competition is heating up. Obviously you have Amazon and Hulu and you have Facebook watch, but now Quibi is in the game and you've got HBO max and Peacock is coming up. What are your thoughts on where we're headed? You know, eventually are we just all going to have streamers? <laughs> at some point and and yes yeah right yes there's no doubt i think the writing was on the wall almost 20 years ago too it's like why shouldn't i pay a dollar for the show i want to see than to have to pay 125 dollars to direct tv 
Sorry. I, I, I think what I love about it, you know, I think competition is good for creativity. I think the more formats, the more voices we'll hear. And I think if you're afraid of competition, get out of the game. And so, yeah, here we go. We're, we're going to go to the computer now for TV. Yeah. I think it's only a matter of yeah. time. I do. Um, yeah. All right, Jen. Well, thank you so much for giving me a little bit of time and giving the audience some insight into Queer Eye. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. I'm so proud of you for having this podcast and for seeing your vision through. It's not easy. So hats off to you. Thank you very much. I do enjoy shining a light on the people who make reality television great because I think a lot of times they don't always get the credit that they deserve. And so it's it's my pleasure to be able to bring to uh, shine the light on them and uh, because they definitely deserve it. So appreciate that. Thank you, Steve. Bye. And that's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everyone listening, if you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please subscribe, download, and rate it. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Steve Berkowitz and Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. Once again, please remember, subscribe, download, rate it with five stars. And if you got a question for me, hit me up at noscriptnoproblempodcast at gmail.com, and then I can answer it on the show. If you're interested in advertising, please contact Believe at Believe.com. Thanks to Mike DeLay and Real Voice LA for all the audio. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.